Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, it's kicking off my first podcast taping. I know you guys have already seen me host a podcast this month in 2022, but it's the first one I'm taping in 2022. Um, and I want to kick it off by asking you to please review us on Apple Podcasts. Um, we hope it's a five-star review, of course, um, but the more of those that we get, the easier it is for people to find us and access what we're sharing with you every week. So if you find it really valuable and helpful, we hope you will encourage others to also listen by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Um, speaking of the valuable information that we share with you every week, this week we're going to be talking about how to ask for more merit money. So as those offers are coming in, some of them may have merit money attached to them, and we have some advice on perhaps how to increase that amount. Um, and then we're also gonna be talking to those of you who are not seniors, but who are instead maybe juniors or even younger who are starting to think about putting together a list of colleges where you might want to apply. And we wanna help you focus in on your best fit colleges. And we have some advice about how to do that and tune others out in the process. Um, but before we get to all of that, we do want to talk about standardized tests. Um, there's a lot going on around standardized tests these days, uh, especially with some schools like the University of California system going completely test-free. But we're not talking about that. Instead, what we do want to talk about are some of the myths that surround standardized testing. Um, because we do know that there are many students out there who are still going to do tests, my son did standardized tests this past year, and he worked with Arbor Bridge, which is one reason why I'm extra excited to welcome our next guest, who happens to be the CEO of Arbor Bridge. Um, and her name is Megan Stubendeck, and uh, she's going to talk to us about tests. Hi, Megan. Hey, Beth. Thanks for having me again. I always love uh, coming and talking with you about tests and college admissions. It's great. No, absolutely. You are a, uh, our favorite when it comes to this subject. So I'm um, happy to have you here. Uh, and I want to jump right in. And um, I think the first thing I said, we weren't really going to talk much about test optional. I sort of lied a little bit. Um, but uh, the first myth I think that we come across and with more frequency is either the idea that no one needs to take the SAT or the ACT or everyone needs to take the SAT and the ACT. And so I'd love to get your thoughts on this one. Yeah. And so as we go through each of these myths, I think one of the easiest ways to tackle them is to talk about where these myths even come from, like what the source is, yes. and then we'll lay down some truth. What is the actual reality of the world? And you really hit the nail on the head when it comes to test optional. That's really the source. All of these changes that have been happening at University of California system, University of Chicago, Harvard even came out for the next four years. They're going to be test optional too. There's a lot of change going on, particularly because of COVID. Over the last two to three years, uh, we've got a lot of new policies coming out. And this test optional is the big one. And test optional just means that a school doesn't require that you sub a test score, an SAT right. or ACT score, but you can if you want to add it to your application. So that's causing this sort of, sort of two polar opposites. Either you never have to take it or everyone still has to take right. it. And so the truth here that we come down to is it largely depends. There's actually a really big gray spot in the middle. It's not black or white right now. And that's actually probably for the benefit of most students because you can kind of pick what's going to work best for you. And so it really depends on things like your GPA, your intended major, the colleges that you're planning to apply to, how you compare with kids at your school, or how you compare to kids going to that college and applying there. So there's a lot of moving pieces. And what we're finding from the test prep end is that most students are still taking these exams just so they've got a score sort of in their toolbox when it comes to application season. Yes, they may, sub they may submit them. Maybe they mm -hmm. don't. Maybe they submit to some schools and not all of them. But that's what we're finding on the test prep. How about a Bright Horizons college coach? How are you yeah. guys seeing? I mean, I, I think what we are seeing is that a lot of students coming in with the intent to take tests um, 
or uh, or maybe thinking saying you know I really don't want to and of course we're going to work with them wherever they're at in that process I think the good news is that in the past if a student didn't want to do standardized testing our focus really had to be very narrow because there weren't that many schools out there or there weren't there weren't nearly as many schools that were test optional as there are now. And so, you know, we really had to be clear that, okay, well then all of these schools will not be an option if you decide you don't want to do standardized testing. Whereas now we're more able to say, okay, you don't want to do standardized tests, that's fine. There will be some schools that won't be an option, but there will be many schools that will be and that we feel fairly confident um, in working with them to create a list that, you know, sort of meets their desire to not do testing, but also has lots of interesting colleges on it that they're excited about. So um, and then, you know, we definitely are have some students who feel like they think testing is going to be a positive part of their application. And so they want to test. And then we have students who are in the in-between and sort of not wanting to let go of the idea that that could be a positive part of their application. And then again, I think the beauty there is if they take the test, it doesn't go the way they would they had hoped. There are lots of opportunities to apply without testing. So, you know, I wish it was a little bit more clear cut, but nothing in admissions is clear cut. Let's be real. So why would this be any different? Right. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so then I think this brings us. So I said we weren't really going to talk about test optional. And then we just spent yeah. the first few minutes of our conversation. <laughs> what I will tell our listeners is that we are going to come back to this theme again. And we will be talking to you about how do you make that decision and how do you weigh the different factors and, and be really smart about that. So keep your eyes open. We'll be doing something on that in the next probably couple of months. In the meantime, let's go back to some of these other myths, Megan. Um, the next one is the idea that the SAT and ACT are IQ tests. Um, and I could say, right, it's not. It's a total myth. So what's the what's yes. your sense of this? Yeah, that, there's a reason it's on this list, because it is 100% a myth. This is yes. something that sort of the source of this myth is really from old school testing. This is an outdated way of thinking about the SAT or ACT, but it still persists. Um, and it really comes from when they were first, ex uh, the exams were first created about 50 years ago, they actually were IQ tests. They presented themselves as IQ tests that were about your natural abilities to think and to read and to problem solve. But the truth is that these exams have changed a lot in the last 50 years, uh, particularly in the last 10 years alone, there's been a revolution in the way these exams are put together. And they really now focus on, and even the people who write them say, they're skills tests. They really are just testing, what have you learned in high school and can you do it on a test? And so like any high school test, they are things you can study for, that you can practice, you can get better on. So they're not just out of the gate, you're stuck with a score that you start with. Right, right, exactly, which means, and presumably your IQ is your IQ and that should be more or less the same, right? So right there, we know that they're not IQ yes. tests. Yes, exactly. And that's even up for debate too. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And what is an IQ anyway? And what is being smart in one area mean about your ability to be smart in another area? And woo, we could go completely off the rails here, but yeah, that's also a very good point. Yes. All right, the next one, this is my favorite myth. This is one that when I do a presentation, presentation on college admissions and standardized testing is part of that conversation. I bring up 100% of the time. I used to hammer this when I worked at Penn. Um, but the myth is that colleges prefer the SAT or that they prefer the ACT. What's the reality, Megan? Yeah, I think it, it, coming straight from you as someone who's worked on the admission side of a, a high-ranking university, but also as an admissions counselor, this is a big myth that we all hear a lot. And you've really, you know, sort of try to kill that myth. It's not true. There is right. nothing better about the SAT. You don't get special credit right. on your application if you took the SAT versus the ACT. And we see this a lot with parents, actually. That's where I see that the most or international students. And it, again, just like the IQ test myth is really from an older generation of test takers and students. Yes, maybe 30 years ago, 40 years ago, colleges on the coast, East Coast and West Coast, preferred the the SAT and the Midwest and the South preferred the ACT, but that is no longer true. All of the colleges in the United States see these two tests as equally valid. Uh, and you can take either exam for admissions. Not Neither one is going to give you a leg up. What's really important is that you should do the one you do best on and you should do the one that you prefer and that fits your schedule and your timeline. That's really where, where the decision should be made. Yeah. I could not underscore this more. And I will say that I... 
it's already been a few years, uh, probably six or seven years, got into one of those really fruitful internet arguments with someone who's in my space and who really felt strongly that the SAT was preferred. And his his uh, support for that was that more students to the school he called out were submitting the SAT. And that was evidence that the SAT was preferred. And um, at a certain point, I realized I was getting nowhere. But yeah, I, there is no preference for either one. What we wanted when I was at Penn was what represented the student's best score. So if they did better on the ACT, awesome. And if they did better on the SAT, equally awesome. We just wanted the better score and we did not need scores from both tests. That's another thing that um, that I see students sometimes thinking like, oh, well, wouldn't it be better if I did both? Well, no, we just kind of looked at what, one, what score was better and we moved on. Um, okay, next myth. One test is harder than the other. <laughs> so the source of this myth goes a little bit back to the last one about colleges preferring one or the other. Sometimes those are linked where people think, oh, the SAT is harder. So schools will like to see that yes. one better, but that's not the case. There is actually no test that is harder or easier. In fact, the vast majority of students, about 80% or over 80% are going to score statistically the same on SAT or ACT. That's why the colleges see them both as statistically right. equal in terms of difficulty um, or representativeness of your readiness for college. And so um, the thing to keep in mind is that it's not that one is either harder than the other or easier than the other. They're just different tests. They yes. do look different. So the SAT, for, for those of you who are kind of looking for a way to kind of wrap your mind around the just the very high level difference, the SAT is what we call, we talk at Arbor Bridge about SAT standing for the slower analytical test. And that's because you have less time per question. I'm sorry, more time per question. So it's yep. a little bit slower paced. And it tends to ask questions that are a little bit more deeper analytically. So you read a passage and you have to infer what the author is asking. Where the ACT is what we call the accelerated content test, the ACT. And that's because you have less time per question. You mm -hmm. have to move a lot faster and it tends to be surface level. It's just you read the passage and do remember what it talked about. And so they have just different feels. One is not harder or easier than another, but you will find one that you maybe naturally are inclined um, to, to like more feels if more comfortable for you. And so that's the one thing to keep in mind. It's not harder, just different. Right. I think that is so important. So important. And I have seen, while statistically a lot of students will do similarly on both, I have definitely seen where some students excel more on one than on the other. And there's zero reason why you wouldn't do that one, because to your point, one is not harder and one is not easier. Okay. Next myth, you have to be good at science to do well on the ACT. Yeah, there's a lot of myths around the ACT. And I think it's because it's the one that is like only over the last few years really became the more one of the more popular of, of the mm -hmm. two exams. And so because it's a little bit of a new kid on the street for some people, there's been a lot of myths around it. And one of them is this science myth and that it really comes from the source of this is that the two exams are largely the same exam. They have the same sections, reading section, a math section, a grammar section, but the ACT also has a, what they call the science test or the science section. Yeah. And many students see that title and they're like, oh gosh, I'm gonna have to know all this stuff about physics and chemistry and biology and astronomy. And I don't remember all of those classes and I'm never gonna be able to do this. But that's not the case. The truth really is, is that the science section is really just a section that tests how good you are at reading graphs and text. And then they just dress it up as science. They call it science. They basically, right. <laughs> they give you a description in text of an experiment. They give you a graph of the data. And then they ask you questions about what you read. Um, there are a few small, maybe four out of 40 questions total that do test your actual science knowledge and facts, but they're basic facts. Things like, what are the order of the planets in our solar system? Or what temperature does water freeze at? So what I tell students is don't be afraid of ACT science if you don't think of yourself as a science kid. Because in reality, if you're good at reading, if you're good at finding information in text, you're actually gonna be really good here. And I find actually some of my my kids who come to me for tutoring and they say, I'm just an English reader. I love to read. I'm like, you're going to be great at science then, because if you can read fast, if you can get through that information, you can just turn on your reading brain. Don't worry about your science brain, leave it behind, turn on your reading <laughs> brain. And you're going to do great in this section because it really is a reading test at the very basis. Yeah. And I have seen more students improve on the science section where the first time they go through it, I think there's a, something that kicks in that says, I'm not good at science, so therefore I'm not going to do well in this section. And then they don't in the diet, you know, in a diagnostic test or even in the real test. 
Then they do a little bit of prep in it and they realize what it's really after. And I see those scores go up. So it is kind of an interesting, it's an interesting section in that it's sort of a little misleading, the, the, the title of it. Um, so yeah, so all right, the last myth. If you take the ACT, you need to take the essay section, the optional essay section. Uh, yes. So the source of this is the ACT essay does have an essay section at the very end. It's called the writing test. But truth is, this section is 100% optional. No, Almost no college is required. In fact, it's so unpopular that the SAT dropped its own essay section yes. a year ago. Um, but I'm going to kick it back to you, actually, Beth, and sort of from an admissions counseling standpoint, what do you recommend to students when they see this? Should they register for it or should they not? I tell them no, um, especially with the SAT getting rid of the writing section um, of their own. I, I see zero reason. I don't see colleges requiring it. I see colleges saying we don't even look at it, even if you do send it to us. So um, my advice, almost almost blanket advice, which is rare, is no, I don't think you need to take the writing section of that test. Um, you know, if you don't have to have it and if colleges aren't going to look at it, I almost feel like even if you ace it, I, I just don't even think it's being acknowledged. So there's zero reason, in my opinion, to take it. So. Yeah, don't waste your money or your time. Just move on to something better. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, all right. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining today. As always, lots of really great information. I appreciate you sharing it with us. Thanks so much for having me, Beth. And good luck to everybody out there listening uh, today. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, to those same people, please don't go away because we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to be talking about merit money. And believe me, you do not want to miss a section on how to get more if, uh, if that's possible. So we'll be right back. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance of success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Uh, welcome back, everybody. We are talking about a lot of things today. We just spent some time discussing myths on standardized tests. And uh, now we're going to talk about merit money. And joining me for that conversation is my colleague, Alex Gonzalez, who's also a former financial aid officer at the University of Portland. Hi, Alex. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. So I'm always, I, I love to have this conversation. We have it every year um, mm -hmm. because now is the time as students are starting to hear back from colleges and they're starting to get... Um, you know, letters of acceptance that are sometimes coming with offers of scholarships, um, which really are discounts that the colleges are offering to you. And yeah. uh, we refer to it as merit money, right? So it's happening in my own house right now. Um, and I do believe that a lot of times, first of all, a lot of times it's just this wonderful, thrilling thing, which as well it should be. Anytime a school is saying, hey, welcome in. Oh, and by the way, we're going to give you some money so we're going to make it an even cheaper prospect for you given that college is typically expensive yeah. that's always a great thing right um but sometimes that merit money may not be enough so you may have been banking on merit money but maybe it wasn't what you had hoped or you weren't really sure what to expect but now that you see it in black and white and you look at how much you're gonna have to pay it's maybe not as as generous as you ha thought it was initially. And what I don't think a lot of people realize is you might be able to ask for more. So what's your thought on this? You know, for starters, can you ask for more? Oh, definitely, definitely. And you, you should think about um, asking, asking. Mm -hmm. um, and it might be based on, so, you know, right now you've, you've, you've celebrated, you've gotten that, 
acceptance letter, you saw that nice, nice, healthy scholarship um, yep. involved. But but also kind of what when is the time to do that as well? So like right away or, or you know, midway through your decision process at the very, very last hour as you hit submit before May 1st. Um, well, probably not. Um, <laughs> but yep. but um, but there is some timing to this. Um, and and colleges know that. Uh, we want to share the information with you as well as what does that timing look like? Right, right. Um, so, so yeah, but definitely, definitely it is a good time to ask. All right, so where where do you start? So is there something that you would recommend families do before they uh, contact the college? Yeah, the preparation. Um, so there's a couple of things that I, when I'm working with families, where I'm going to guide them. Um, one is kind of research the college's scholarship process. So college financial aid offices are going to be very clear of like the different types of financial aid. And oftentimes we refer to financial aid as need-based, tied mm -hmm. to families' finances, but also merit scholarships are a part of that. It reduces the cost, it helps families across the board. It's just tied to academics. Right. Um, and so making sure that a college has that. Um, what is their process in awarding that information? I've had some colleges award admissions process, uh, award admissions um, acceptance letters, and then they delay their scholarship program until like, yeah, yeah. Until, We're experiencing that, yeah. <laughs> until, and, and I've seen it more and more because a lot of times colleges are looking at interest as well. Students, you know, they were in a pandemic, they applied to a lot of different colleges, I would say more than others. And so colleges are cautious about those scholarship dollars. Um, so knowing what, what the college scholarship process is, um, reaching out and asking if there's additional merit scholarships or department-based scholarships or what that timeline looks like, that is communication. You're building that relationship. Um, we might have, I don't know, we've, I worked at a college that, um, you know, in, in some cases it wasn't a big deal, but it had some influence if a student was in communication asking questions about our biology department, uh, signing up for um, stu accepted student events, um, to get an idea to see themselves at that college rather than just looking at that bill and saying, am I gonna go here because this scholarship is attracting me? Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so that's interesting stuff. Who do you, who would you call? You said, you know, reaching out about departmental scholarships and things like that. Is this a conversation with the financial aid officer office? Is this a outreach to individual departments? What's your advice there? Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I have students and families start with their admissions counselor okay. directed to their region. So that person is going to be the advocate. Um, I remember uh, back in when I was in the scholarship admissions financial aid office, we would have our annual meetings and we'd talk about our regions that we represented or supported through this process. And it was always a great opportunity to share, oh, well, uh, New Mexico, we got this many students or, you know, Western Oregon, we got this many students. And, and in, in this process, we're trying to advocate. We want you to attend. We want to make. We want to do as much as we can um, to make that happen. And sometimes that right. might be reviewing scholarships or increasing those awards, laying out what's available. And so, um, identifying that person, especially early on, um, will will create that opportunity because if they have the ability to change it themselves, they will do it. Um, if they need supporting documents, they're going to let you know what they need. Um, and then, you know, go to their review board or their, their dean or their meeting. But if you go straight to the top, and I've had this with students and families, they go, we're going to go to the president of the university and say, we're the best, you know, right. we have to come here. You didn't look at our application right. Um, but then, you know, that puts... A, that, that person, uh, that advocate in your corner kind of pushes them out of the way. Right. That's not the decision maker either. Um, 
you know, even though that they're the president of the university or the dean, they don't have, they would come to me. Um, right, they're going to bounce it right back to the person yeah, who's like, been trying to advocate for you, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that puts you in a bad, that, that doesn't make a healthy relationship. And you got to think about that. If there's two people on this side, they both have similar goals. It's just, okay, how can we make those things compromise and, and, and move forward? Right. I, I think that's such a good point. I mean, especially at the schools that are offering generous merit awards, typically those admissions officers are not really gatekeepers so much as they are trying to help both the university and the student applicants to each achieve their goal. So you put it really well, right? You you have the same goal in the end. Yeah. They want to, the students they admit to attend the institution and you want you were admitted and you want to attend the institution. So everybody wants the same thing and that's why that person is always going to be, you know, your good to your point, a really good advocate and a good first step. So I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. that feedback. Um, in terms of, um, you know, timing and, and how this yeah. should unfold, what, talk to us about that timeline piece. Yeah, I, I typically try to break it down is that knowing that right now, I know that we're clamoring, we're, we're getting some information, like you were saying, you know, your family's going through this process. Yes. Uh, you know, you've heard from some universities very early, you've seen a financial aid or an estimate package of everything and others it's crickets. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, oh, what do I do? You know, like uh, it is a place of waiting. So right now it's a great time to, to, to kind of gather that information, January, February, um, reaching out, seeing if you've missed scholarships Mm -hmm. Or sometimes those department scholarships aren't really working with the admissions office or the financial aid office. They kind of have their own grant. They kind of uh, think of it as their kind of pool of money that they're attracting students. And, and so maybe you reach out and they'll go, okay, there's some additional scholarships or rounds of scholarships. So you, you're aware. Um, also, you applied back in the fall with Right. Your junior information, maybe, you know, early test scores or, you know, um, maybe maybe you had an uptick with um, your AP classes um, in your GPA or you finished well or, or got an award during this time. So providing new information right. um, is great as well. Um, so that's a time to work with the university saying, hey, I got some new information. Will this impact my, my scholarship award? Um, we're interested. It's also a time where you're paring down your list as well from that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember when we were talking about six schools and, and now we're talking about eight and even, even 10 to a certain extent, or right. sometimes I talk to families with more and this is your process to bring that down as well. So, um, right now it's kind of new information being prepared gathering that information. But when it shifts to March and April, that's when you're kind of in that decision chair where right. you have a little bit more agency. You're rating your interest of the schools that you have. You have all the information most likely at that point. Um, and now you're kind of comparing your offers. You have a better idea of you know, how much does this cost versus this? You're weighing the value of this university versus this university. And now you're coming up maybe a little bit more aggressive by saying, hey, can you erase this? We're making right. our decision. You know, you have 15 days, you have a month. Um, again, a day for everything and all the wheels to turn to change your, your, your opportunity, um, your scholarship opportunity, not enough time. No. But, <laughs> not enough time. But, but in that month of, of um, in those months, that is reasonable. March, April, those are those times to really kind of maybe push. They might ask you for new information. They might ask you to file a, a financial aid form. Mm -hmm. um, that was a rule in our, our um, office is that if you did not fill out one, we wouldn't entertain an award. Mm -hmm. um, so that could be something. Um, or we would potentially ask if it was a competitive program, where else are you competing? Yeah, right. Especially for certain majors. Um, I remember nursing, 
uh, engineering, computer science, we would want to know who else have you had. So being prepared to present that information um, as well. Right. So in other words, I've gotten this award from this institution, which might compete with your institution. And therefore, maybe you'd be a little bit more willing to budge on that. And obviously some colleges, yes, and some colleges, no. And yeah. But there's no harm, and but you no. do need to be prepared to show it. You can't, yeah. you know, you can't say, well, we got this award um, and not be truthful because the college may very well say to you, can you show us that? And then we might be able to match it. And then you have to be to say, oh, well, I don't really have that in hand to show to you. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. you want to be careful on that front. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else that you'd want to share with our listeners about the whole merit process in terms of negotiating for more money, if that's possible? Yeah, um, I, I think a little bit of it is that, you know, come in with some realistic expectations. You're not going to see large swings in that increase and, uh, unless there's really new information. So right. new academic information or there was a portion missing from your application. Um, and it is really important to do this in the in January and February. We had a deadline of March fifth, uh, mm. March fifteenth, where we wouldn't, where we were kind of like, okay, no more new information. Nothing's, you know, our our admissions was pretty much closed at that point. We had right. given fair enough time from um, high school counselors and recommenders to bring in information, and so that we had kind of that hard cutoff. So being aware that there might be an internal date. So making sure that you are kind of putting your front foot forward. Once you get those semester grades, you might reach out with those semester grades being active in that process. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. Okay. Alex, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us and talking through this today. Yeah, no problem. All right. Well, um, we are going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about to those in the audience who are a little bit younger, right? So parents of juniors, sophomores, maybe even freshmen, students who are those ages. And we're gonna be talking about developing a list of your best fit colleges. Um, so don't go away. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, so earlier in the show, we've been talking to the question of negotiating for more merit money, which is really most applicable for this year's current seniors. However, in this segment, we want to go back to the students. We talked about the myths around standardized testing earlier. That's likely going to be mostly important for freshmen, sophomores, juniors, as is this next segment where we're talking about this whole concept of best fit colleges and developing a list of your best fit colleges. And joining me for this is my colleague um, and former Barnard uh, admissions officer, Cara Courtois. Hi, Cara. Hello. So happy to have you back on the show. I feel like you're not on enough, but um, thrilled that we have you here today. And um, I'm particularly excited to talk about this issue, issue with you because I, I find you to be very thoughtful um, when it comes to this process in general. And 
it can be hard to be thoughtful, if that makes sense, when it comes time to put together, putting together your college list. Um, You know, I, I think it's easy to forget about what you think and really take in a lot of what other people think. So yeah, let's, um, let's start with this. We talk a lot about best fit colleges. What does that phrase best fit mean to you? Mm -hmm. I always try and encourage students and parents within that conversation to talk about what matters to you as a family. You know, Mm -hmm. what are your priorities? I'd often say to juniors, you know, a good goal at its base is by the end of junior year, you have three drivers. Like what are your three primary attributes that Mm -hmm. you'd ideally have in this dream next step of life? Right. And, you know, and so that will differ according to the student. And so even if they come in with a mindset of, I want a top 20 ranked institution, right. that's only one driver. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so what are the two, two other drivers? And really what I'm always trying to get at is what's going to make the school a place where you want to stay for four years? Right. Because so often, you know, as you and I know, it's not just about getting in. No. Even if that's the name of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, it's really about what's going to make you stay for four years. And I've recently been um, talking about and uh, having come from a warmer climate vacation, blessedly, recently (laughs) with my own kids who are in high school now about um, atmosphere, you know, Mm -hmm. and vibe. You know, we've always kind of talked about that. So I think... um, location, size, vibe of a campus, like the type of community, the type of environment um, are some of the top three drivers that I would say really kind of come to the top of many students lists after Mm -hmm. we have that conversation. Um, And so much of what helps you to stay, you know, would be how that comes Mm -hmm. into what's reality once boots are on the ground and you're actually matriculating there. So no longer in the dining hall are you talking about the ranking of your institution. (laughs) You are (laughs) full on just living life at that point um, and how the weather affects you. And that's why in sunny, you know, vacation, I was thinking about it's four degrees back at my alma mater right now. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Right. And I knew some people from Wyoming and um, really cold climates Wyoming, Montana stand out to me, and this is what I was saying to my kids, who transferred after a year, because they said, yeah, it's really cold in Wyoming, Montana, but we have sun. Yes. <laughs> yeah. In the Midwest, that doesn't happen much in the winter, so that can be hard on some students. So yeah. So I think yeah. the top three drivers, what are your you know, primary pieces of information that you feel will help you to stay there for four years and be successful? Right. And, you know, we talk about best fit and we always are trying to steer away from the idea that best fit is brand name. But, you know, for some students and parents, brand name is important. Mm -hmm. But then within that framework, it still has to be a place that you enjoy and that you will be. And maybe even maybe enjoyment is not something that's on the top of your list. It's not a top driver, but it certainly has to be a place where you can pursue your area of focus academically and where you can find peers who you, you know, so you have a community um, that you can engage with. No person is an island. We're not built that way. So to imagine that literally nothing matters beyond the name of the school is Mm -hmm. to be so short-sighted that I do believe Mm -hmm will lead to four years of extreme unhappiness if you don't dig more deeply. Um, And so if you ever want to make a school counselor or an independent counselor um, or an admissions officer's hackles raise, you know, just mention the fact that like, well, I'm going to apply to all the Ivies because, you know, they're all different yeah. Truly and tr- in in very significant ways. So then mm-hmm. that all that says to me is you haven't thought about what yeah. your best fits are because maybe yeah. a couple of those make sense, right? But there's no way that all of them make sense 
if you are truly being thoughtful. So, yeah, that's so true. And I definitely think, I mean, I always say to students, that's one reason these supplements exist on the common application. And that sometimes all the research you can do and, you know, virtual visits, in-person visits, whatever, actually doesn't really come together until you actually write that supplement. So I'm making a case for writing supplements earlier (laughs) in the process, not just because you will be excited as a student to be done, you know, well, um, before Christmas is what we would encourage, you know, before the new year, but also because that's where it reveals there's so many, and that's where the IVs really separate, you know, I'd say, um, as an example, but so many schools, I definitely have had students say, gosh, once I dug into the supplement, I realized I don't, they don't even have the major that I want there. Or I just don't think I'm going to be able to do the internships that I found at all these other schools that I want to do them or the lab experience or the type of student body. And I was like, yep, that's just about right. Right. Which is why that you, you do that. Right. And, and actually, I can, t- I can think of a number of times where a student had a very specific academic focus, but po- popped a few schools on there, even though they don't have that, I can do this instead. That makes no sense. No yeah. sense at all. If you know what you want to do in particular, there should not be a school on your list that does not offer that major. You may change your mind, but how can you in good conscience put a school on there that doesn't offer what you want uh, if every other school on your list must have it? It makes yep. no sense to me, right? Absolutely. So, all right, I'm getting off my soapbox because we're not supposed to be talking at you. We're supposed to be talking with you. So how I think you've already talked through some of the ways that you would suggest students start to figure out their best fit schools. Mm-hmm. Anything else on that on that front that we haven't touched on yet? Well, um, I do think, I, I, and I think sometimes it's also helpful to have that driver's awareness separately from your mm-hmm. parents. So encouraging parents to kind of come up with what their drivers or aspirations are and then the student, because hopefully some of those things will overlap. Right. But, you know, as we so often will see that, you know, some 17 year olds have very clear opinions. Um, Some do until they get to this stage, you know, when it's a big life decision. Right. Um, Most importantly, it's, you know, I think so. I think a lot of parents and students are surprised when they start to have that conversation if they've kind of thought about it separately or even put pen to paper and try to jot down some ideas and then come together. Mm-hmm. And you realize, you know, a lot can be surprising in that, you know, awareness, whether it's, wow, I didn't really realize you didn't want to go away from home, you know, mm-hmm. more than three hours, or you didn't even want to live on a college campus. I didn't realize that, you know, like right. some of those things will you know, become uh, very clear in that part of the conversation. So I'd encourage that, like brainstorming separately mm-hmm. and trying to come up with those drivers um, separately for sure. Right. I think that's a good one um, for sure. Looked like you were going to share another one. I was going to also say it's also just a really good time to not have too many cooks in the kitchen. You know, that it's, I always encourage parents, you know, this is not dinner table conversation, especially at holiday meals with all the relatives and so-and-so that's got an uncle who's a professor at the local university who knows someone that, you know, all of that, because then we're getting way off course from who your student is. Right. So, and I have always enjoyed, especially Beth, when you talk about just know your child, you know, and I think that's super important. And I always, I've said for years, you know, get a really good pair of earmuffs. I'm entering into this space right now on the sidelines, you know, of sporting events, you know, where everybody's got an opinion and everybody's, you know, and a lot of it is hopefully that their, their opinions are good for their child, mm-hmm. but there's no way that that actually fits usually for your child, <laughs> you know, overall. And, right. but it can really mess with your head, you know, as a parent, it can very, get you off course from what your family values are and what, you know, who your child is. So um, and steering back to knowing your child is a really important part of this. 
Yeah, I think that, you know, if you start there, I do think that um, good things will come from that. I think knowing your child and also being realistic about who your child is. You know, sometimes I find that parents know their child, um, know what they're capable of, and but are know what they've accomplished and really don't want to look at the difference, right, between what they yeah. know could have been and then what actually is. Yeah. And yeah. you really do have to close that gap. It, it is, there's nothing more demoralizing for the student and ultimately for the parent if you can't kind of really accept the what is versus the what could have been. I, I just, you know, that is a key component to identifying yeah. the best fit colleges. And, you know, one thing I've also talked about as I go through this process, which has been incredibly eye-opening and has definitely no question made me, I think, a better counselor is just the um, understanding that I had my college experience and what I wanted is different than what my child wants. And by the same token, maybe you didn't have your college experience. Maybe as a parent, you didn't get to do the things you wanted and you want that for your child, but your child may not want what you wanted, right? So either way, you're not the one who's going. They are and really trying hard to support within reason. I understand there's a lot of money involved here. And so you also have to set some clear you know, boundaries around that as a parent, what is realistic and what is not realistic in terms of what you can afford, where you want your, how far away from home you'd like them to go. Um, I do believe that parents should have veto power over some choices. I also think kids should have some veto power over choices that their parents might want. And um, we did this negotiating in my house this year, and I know it can go both ways, and it did. So, um, you know, so that is, that's some things that I also suggest to parents. I'm curious if you have advice on, for students, on kind of what not to do as they go through their creating their list. Yeah, I mean, I think first comes to mind is what a lot of people do, which is yes. what are the most highly ranked, you know, uh, you know, just go to any search engine and mm -hmm. type in what are the most highly ranked you know, institutions. And the number one reason we say that, you know, as people who sat in seats of admissions is we know that where the rankings come from has really nothing to do with fit right. for a student. It's, it couldn't be further away from that. And um, and it, it starts the conversation with, you know, just uh, backwards, you know, yes. as a, and, you know, I, the reality is, um, just like test driving a car is the easiest, you know, comparison, you know, that I'm not going to test drive the most expensive, you know, car right. out there first and foremost, because yeah, it's just going to skew my understanding of what is reasonable and probably a better choice for me overall, you mm -hmm. know, for gas mileage and all that stuff. So, right. you know, the, the same um, applies. So starting with, um, you know, those core attributes, first and foremost, I think just trying to get to that first and doing, you know, one of those simple college search tools, either on the college board website, mm -hmm. or if your school is using Naviance or score, starting there just to start, you know, broadening the conversation. I had a student this year whose family read from beginning to end the Fisk guide to colleges. Wow. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> was looking for their student within there. And I just thought that it's one way to go about it. And I thought it was a really, they gave themselves a lot of lead time mm -hmm. and I think really breathed a lot of space into it. And I thought they did a beautiful job, really. I don't think most people are going to do that, no. to be honest. But even if you said, oh, I'm going to read all the schools that are in Illinois, or I'm, you know, or I'm going to look up five schools that are, came from my, you know, Naviance search mm -hmm. or my college board search, and then I'm going to read about them before I do anything else or take their, you know, virtual tour or something like that. You're looking for what sounds like me a little bit, you know, right. not just the statistics. Yeah. And, uh, you know, another thing that I would recommend is that um, I find students who have either love everything or hate everything yeah. really find it challenging to do this. And, um, you know, you, you can't you have to have some criteria. It comes back yeah. to that. And you have to be willing to let it go when it doesn't meet your criteria. Um, I had a meeting uh, 
recently with a student I'm working with right now who had just done his first college visit. And he had very distinct reactions to everyone. He visited, I think, five schools. Two are gone. Three are um, on the list, one of those tenuously, and the other two like solidly. And after at the end of the meeting, I said, this was awesome. Now I know what you are reacting poorly to. I know what you really like. I can make good additional suggestions. And it's such a breath of fresh air from many of my students who mostly love everything and think it's all really wonderful, right? So... Anyway, all right, um, last piece of advice as we wrap up here. I mean, one simple as you were talking is, you know, think of the seniors who are ahead of you if you're a freshman, sophomore, junior. Is there one who is kind of like you, you know, as a student personality-wise? Pay attention to where mm -hmm. they're visiting and maybe applying and chatting them. I certainly had someone on my cross-country team in high school that I was really just kind of similarly minded and just paid attention, you know, overall to places that they're looking at. It may not mm -hmm. give you the exact science of where you end up applying, but just for overall fit, sometimes there's good instincts there. Ah, I love that advice. Thank you so much for joining, Kara. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Absolutely. And thanks to all my guests today. Next week, is Sally is going to be hosting. And I'm very excited because she is welcoming industry legend, former Chicago Dean of Admissions, Ted O'Neill, to the show. Sally used to work for him at Chicago. And he's going to reflect on his years doing this work and how things have changed. Um, should be a really uh, interesting couple of segments. We're also going to be talking about education tax breaks and understanding how those might impact um, your ability to pay uh, in the coming year uh, or when it's time for your student to go to college. Um, don't forget, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. The more we get, the easier it is for others to find us. Um, and we're also, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.